The tyrant and the rebel hold the same creed. To act is to live. And we welcome you back here to another edition of Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ryan Mazzocco. And I'm Ethan Maestri. Each episode, we take a look at another episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and we pick it apart, look for the things that uh, we like about it, and uh, maybe what we can learn from it in our own personal lives, and yeah. what this means for the future. Yeah. So, uh, I guess we could go ahead and just get right into it. Um, Before we get going, though. You see, see my latest edition here. What are you talking about? Well, Amazon. They just they just uh, dropped off my pet prescient. Yeah, you, see, it, see it in the tank over there. You got a prescient? Yeah, yeah, right there. That's a goldfish. I uh, I know it looks like a goldfish. It's not. No, see, it, it's got the little tank there, um, and it's got the the it's it's like Alexa uh, has got that box on the side of it. Sure. And and here here let me show you. I got these pellets here. So grab one of these pellets. Are you being for real right now? Yeah. Gra- grab one of these pellets. Oh. And just drop it in the tank. It'll, right. it'll read your future. Okay. Hang on. Okay. Just, just drop. Yeah, just drop, drop, drop one in. I'm going to grab one too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll go first then? Yeah. Drop okay. yours in. All right. Bloop. And then I'll drop mine in too. Bloop. Okay. And then uh, we just wait a few minutes uh, while it eats, and then it's through you the... Don't we need, like, some kind of an intermediary or something? What? No, no, because what happens here is, see, it'll transmit the thoughts to the little Alexa box, and then it'll go straight to my inbox and my email, and then we'll get our futures. Oh, well, that's nifty. Yeah. All yeah. right. So we've, we just... Oh, there it is. Your, I think yours just dropped into the inbox. Okay. Let's check it out. All right. What do you say? Yeah, this sounds fun. All right. Uh, let me get this open here. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. You will go on a backpacking trip across Europe where you will see many adventures, face many perils, overcome adversities, and meet new friends. You will ride on a llama named Montel through the French countryside and discover new music and foods. This trek will be long, dangerous, and difficult, but you will find yourself to be a better, more well-rounded person when you finally make it back home. When you finally die, at a good old age, you will look back on this time as the most character-defining adventure you have ever known. Enjoy the now. Your future only gets better. Wow. Wow. That's... That is really... Inc- I, I I almost wanted to cry. Yeah. That was beautiful. I mean, do you think this thing's pretty accurate? I, well, they say, you know, it, they say it's pretty accurate. I, I'm, I don't know. Wow. Oh, oh, mine just popped in. Oh, wow. This is going to be... I can't wait to hear I yours. know. I'm really excited about this. Uh... You will be lucky in love. Oh, I mean, there's there's that. You've always wanted that, right? Sure. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. L- let's move on. All right, all right. So, yeah, here we are now, episode 68, Pieces of Eight. Well into season four now. Well, two episodes. 
You know what? I don't really know if there's a whole lot to talk about right now, other than uh, just if you want to go ahead and get into trivia. Well, other than the abject disappointment, I think we need to just move on and do well, the show. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm doing this. For, I'm for here me. for you. I'm here for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, so trivia for pieces of eight. Montel, right? That was, that was the that, llama's name? Yeah, that was the llama's name. Okay. Uh, Jorge Montesi was the director for Pieces of Eight. And now we're going to welcome to the writing staff the brothers Larry and Paul Barber. They began their writing careers with 80s television classics like Cagney and Lacey and 21 Jump Street. Into the 90s, they wrote scripts for standbys like Jake and the Fat Man. Beverly Hills 90210, The X-Files, and yes, The Commish is sprinkled in there as well. We'll get a chance to discuss their work over this and 13 other episodes of Andromeda for the next two seasons. Curiously, though, their work as writers and producers in television and film effectively ends with their work on Andromeda. Larry disappears into the ether altogether, and Paul has only one other credit as both writer and producer of a television movie titled The Grove, from 2013 guest stars for the episode it's been a while since we've had one of those that guy guests on the show well we have one here in mari chaykin as citizen eight born in 1949 mari is well a mari is a well recognized character actor in both american and canadian film and television he is notable for appearances in films like my cousin Vinny, dances with wolves and war games and he has appeared in television shows of all genres, including CSI, Stargate SG-1, Boston Legal, Entourage, and he had a lead role as Nero Wolf in the Nero Wolf Mystery Series. Sadly, though, we lost Mari in 2010. Sheila Horsdall, she plays Priestess Misabo Am. She has credits going all the way back to the 90s. After her appearance on Andromeda, she appears in Smallville, X-Men The Last Stand, Stargate Atlantis, Eureka, and Falling Skies. Most notably, she was Lieutenant Womack for five episodes of Stargate SG-1. She played Barbara on the series Level Up. You might recognize her as Kate Spencer from the Arrow series, or perhaps as Maggie Palmer in Hell on Wheels. Or, more recently, she was Helen Smith for 36 episodes of The Man in the High Castle. Indeed, she's a very busy actor, and we're happy to see her here in Andromeda. Gianna Patton. She plays Tiki. She has appearances in Stargate SG-1, The Chris Isaac Show, and Jake 2.0. Her cohort, Melissa Barker Sauer, she plays Rondi. She has appearances in The Commish and the Jeremiah series. And finally, wanted to just draw a little bit of attention to the title of our episode, Pieces of Eight. Now, I don't think this is directly a Styx reference. However, if Ethel Vare's observations about this production crew hold, you might be able to make that argument. Right. Yeah? Mm -hmm. You get you get my reference there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but in reality, what Pieces of Eight is actually referencing here, uh, in 1537, the Spanish Escudo gold coin was introduced. It was worth 16 reels. Later, they had the introduction of the gold doubloon, and it was worth 32 reels, or two Escudos. So it's this divisibility into eight that caused the silver coins to be called pieces of eight. And it's likely that these coins were cut up in some establishments and used by individuals uh, as just pieces of the coin. And this would have led to other terms in our lexicon like two bits. So that's what I've got for trivia for pieces of eight. 
You know, I don't even like backpacking. Okay. I'm well, really floored by all of well, this. Apparently, you're yeah. going to have a great time. Yeah. So. Right. You got that to look forward to. <clears throat> Lucky in love. Sure. So, uh, why do you say we go ahead and just move on to the summary? Yeah, let's, let's do all that. All right. Dylan's on a hollow call with his new best friend, Trojemma. She is warning him of a power play by Citizen 8, whose family connections to the Commonwealth go back to before the old Commonwealth Civil War. Despite the fall, life's been good to Eight, and he's supposedly being good to the new system's Commonwealth by upgrading the entire fleet, including Andromeda. He also has possession of the Prescient, a creature able to tell people's future. Eight is using the creature's power to sway votes and weaken Trigemma's power. Once she's removed, Eight intends to take her place. Andromeda heads to Eight's base on Ganglia Drift for upgrades and to investigate Eight's doings. But before arriving, Citizen Eight has sent worker bots ahead to begin the upgrades on Andromeda. However, things go awry, and Dylan is forced to gallantly charge into the docking bay and save the day, blowing up all of the worker bots and ordering Harper to clean up the mess. Ah, the privileges of being the chosen one. I wait, I mean captain. At Ganglia Drift, Dylan gets to the point and accuses Citizen Eight of being a man of ill repute and an ne'er-do-well. Eight feigns innocence and makes a play to influence Dylan by having the prescient read his future. The reading is given, but the priestess shockingly reveals that Dylan will betray the Commonwealth. This upsets the residents of the Drift. Further investigation reveals how the prescient's food source is able to help the creature to read people and make an educated guess about their future. It is also learned that the prescient and priestess, Misabo Am, are being exploited by Eight, a situation that Dylan vows to correct. In the meantime, Rami has discovered that the work being done by Eight's work crews are in fact sabotaging Andromeda's systems. Dylan orders the work crew thrown in the brig and has the ship head for the planet that supplies the prescient's food in hopes of cutting off the source of Eight's power. Eight sends his worker ships to overwhelm Andromeda, but due to Rami's diligence and Dylan's trap to reveal to everyone Eight's evil plan, Eight's jig is up and his fleet is destroyed. Back on the drift, Dylan confronts Eight, killing him. Once dead, his body turns to black goo, just as Paru's did when he died, confirming that Citizen Eight was a pawn of the Spirit of the Abyss. With Eight defeated, the Prescient and the Priestess freed, and Trigemma's place in the Commonwealth secured, Trance reveals to Dylan that the Prescient's prediction will happen just as it said it would. Dylan Hunt, poster boy for the new system's Commonwealth, will one day betray it. The end. Very nice summary, Ethan. Uh, thank you. Uh, one little detail that I think you kind of left out, or maybe I missed, uh, at the beginning, those little worker bots. Yeah. Um, were those a whole bunch of wallies? <laughs> or, or or were they number fives? They were Johnny Fives. Okay. Yeah. Well, somewhere between Wally and Johnny Five, I think. Okay, so they were Wally Fives. Wally Fives. Let's go with that. All I right. like it. Okay. Couldn't they be Wally Eights, though? Uh, I guess they would have to they be. They would have to be. Yeah. Yeah, Wally Eights. Good call. I, I guess, just staying on that, Mad Worker Bots, a comically fast fix for them. <laughs> that That whole sequence was just... I think I'm speculating here. It was like they realized, all right, the rest of the show is going to be pretty serious. Let's get all the comedy 
with the exception of Harper's lines, let's get all the comedy right here in the first two minutes of the show. You think so? I kind of feel like it. You think that's what they were going for? I, well, comedy. It is what they went for. Okay. Yeah. The 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 whole Rami trying to pull the throwing star out of her back. Yeah. Awkwardly trying to reach around. Yeah. As right. if she's not limber enough well, to think, just reach back there sure. and yank that thing out. That was a callback, I think, to uh, Homer Simpson when he had the sign written on his back <laughs> and he was spinning in circles. What's it say? Yes. Like, yes. Uh, something yeah. like that. So so you know it, it was that physical type comedy. I think that they, mm-hmm. they were really stretching for it right in that opening sequence uh i'm glad that you stuck with the robot scene here because uh, i actually have another note and i thought it would be awkward if we start talking about something else and i'm like hey let's talk about that robot scene again so this is great um so here we have again dylan to the rescue yeah why how did he know this was going on and how did he know how to solve this problem when the three of them are already on it yeah, and they're they're just like throwing sticks at it. I guess it's, just it's from his not point even it's not even show up on deck situation report. What's going on here? Uh-huh. No, it's out of my way. Right, I'm here to save the day. I got this. I got this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this thing that Harper made and I'm going to stick it in its mouth. Why? Okay. And why does it not drop it as soon as it goes back in that room? <laughs> does it know what's happening to it? I don't think Or what's it, about to happen to it? I don't think it, it could. <laughs> it's it just, well, something's in my mouth. I, I got to hold it here. Yeah. yeah. Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was pretty awful, mm. actually, now that we're talking about it. Yeah. Oh, you didn't realize that before? <laughs> um, I'm, oh, I hate it when people ruin stuff for me like that. Did, did you hear I'm that? Really did sorry. you hear the glass breaking yeah. in the background yeah. there? Yeah. You're going to put some, some glass breaking in post? I should. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, I just want to make the comment that Citizen 8 sounds like a really great electronic music composer. Ooh, yeah. Not bad. Yeah. Some little house music. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Either that or the, the next James Bond villain. Yeah, that that could work too. Mm-hmm. I like a good rave as about a, about as much as anybody. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. this this you know spoke to me. Yeah, been to a lot of raves, have you? <laughs> Did, no. <laughs> <laughs> Do you even know what a rave is? Not really. <laughs> I I hear the kids talk about them. Yeah, you know. So I figured I'd sprinkle a little bit yeah. of uh, you know jive in there. Yeah. A girl asked me if I like if I like E, and I said I like to watch E. Mike Berbiglia. Yeah. yeah. She loved E. <laughs> but she hated water. <laughs> I'm so glad you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is a little um, something that I noticed here. I think a lot of these places here in this Andromeda universe, they are missing a key security feature. And I think they could have used it in this episode. Okay. Um, slip points. From what we understand, this uh, hold on, come back, come back. This is not a slip. This is not a slipstream discussion. Okay, okay. Slip points—they're kind of fixed points in space, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just create one anywhere you want. Not all willy-nilly, right? Right. Okay. So when you're somewhere in close proximity to a station or a drift mm-hmm. like this, you pretty well know where that slip point is. You would think, yeah. Okay. They even say in this episode, "Let's go to the slip point." As they're breaking away from the drift, yeah, head to the slip point, yeah. So they know where it is. Mm-hmm. So does uh, Super 8's people. They know where it is. It's a big hotel, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, a casino hotel, really. Um, 
So my question is, when you have these high-traffic, high-security areas, these drifts and stations, even, you know, systems, why not just have a security patrol just circling around that that slip point? That way, anyone going in or out has to go through that checkpoint. Yeah, isn't that a great idea? I I think I think you're just you're just bringing attention to the obvious. We had to have a plot at some point. Yeah, but uh, does this does this kill the plot though? It slows if, if it we down. That it slows it down. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's something extra for them to get around. We got to get around that security patrol that's circling around the slip point. Yeah, but as easily as they got through the worker ships that weren't worker ships. Yeah. Um, don't you think they would have been able to take out the patrol just as easily? If the plot calls for it, yes. And I think it would. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. But so, least- so you're saying that they could have filled another 30 seconds of time? Yeah, I just think this is a flaw in the universe. What are these people thinking? Put I'm, some security around the slip point. Yeah, in, no, in, in I, your, I'm hearing you. In your, in your high traffic area here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hi, th- there's the question. High traffic for what? Is this, that thing was just floating out in the middle of nowhere, wasn't it? Well, it is a drift. Yeah. <laughs> okay, point. Mm-hmm. point. Ganglia drift. Gang- which yeah. Let's I talk ha- about that name. Yeah, I had a great joke for that, and then I looked up ganglia and found out that what I, that word does not mean what I thought it meant. <laughs> oh, really? What yeah. was the joke? <clears throat> I don't know if I want to talk about it now. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I, I just said, uh, I, well, my joke was ganglia. If it's a drift, can it really be a drift if it's ganglia? Because it could move around. I was thinking ganglia was like the little hairs that single cell organisms have when they swim around. I, when I heard ganglia, I was mm-hmm. thinking of the little tendrils or tentacles that come off of like jellyfish. That's what I was thinking. Yes, about. exactly. Yeah. Same thing. All right. So we were on the same page. Right. That's not what it is. I know, because yeah. I looked it up and I'm like, oh, neurons. Okay. Yeah. That's a, yeah. okay. Oh, I see. It's appropriate for the episode. <laughs> exactly. That's disappointing. <laughs> oh, well, we can't make fun of that. Yeah. Interesting name, though. <laughs> and yet we did. And, yeah. <laughs> hey, we worked it in there. Right. We worked it in there. Yeah. Uh, Ganglia Drift. I have just in my note next to it, aliens. <laughs> you know how we, we mm. drew attention to the fact that crew crew filthy with crew right yeah. you know this is the first time in several episodes where wow we mm-hmm. have extras all over the place oh yeah <laughs> and, and i thought that was nice actually it made me feel like i was you know at a drift mm-hmm. yeah yeah and you know it, it was sort of had that you know that mm, sort of casino-ish feel yeah and, and not like one of the nice casinos you know but yeah, this is a little seedy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this was the dirty part of Vegas. Yes, yes this it was. This was just off the strip. Well, and actually Rami is actually drawing attention to that mm-hmm. when she's talking with Harper, isn't she? It's like there are there are nooks and crannies here that mm. you really mm-hmm. don't want to be involved in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely had the feel of that. How do you feel about someone like Becca calling everybody aliens? At this point, isn't everyone either either everyone is aliens or no one is was she demonstrating a little bit of human chauvinism well she included herself okay she said yeah us aliens yes or something like that she included i I mean she yeah whatever it was she included herself so no but just the word aliens does it mean anything anymore 
it would be best if she didn't use the word. I'll I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. But I don't. Um, now that you're bringing it up, I was thinking, well, wow, yeah. Then you know she was letting her human show, but uh, <laughs> but apparently that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I think we can let it pass. Okay. All right. I'm just wondering what place that word has in this universe now. Yeah, how does it yeah. translate for mm-hmm. aliens? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I hear what you're saying there. Uh, can we tar- talk about Harper's shirt? Oh, well, his nice one? <laughs> okay. Um, was Sorry, it, did was, I steal your joke? You stole my thunder just a bit. <laughs> well, I want to ask, was it designed or was it just filthy? Yeah. Enough mm-hmm. said. Okay. No. I mean, there, there's the answer. I don't know. That, uh, that really threw me. You know, he's... Oh, wow, you're all dressed up. How do I look? I'm like, dumb. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I know what you normally wear. You yeah. look like you wear T-shirts that you got straight from the Gap. Um, and well, Or Goodwill. Yeah, yeah. Well, they would be now by this time. <laughs> yeah. uh, same place he buys his CDs, probably. Yep. And his VHS and DVDs. Mm-hmm. Well, there's all the things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, that's not, not a good shirt for a date. No, 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 no. Hey, I want to talk about a bad guy thing that annoys me. Okay, so you're a fan of The Incredibles. Yes. So you know what I say, you know what I mean when I say monologuing. Oh, yeah. All right. So not only do we have monologuing, but I keep seeing this over and over again. In not just Andromeda and not even just sci-fi, but in any sort of action, adventure, show, or movie, we have the bad guy monologuing during the gunfight. Yes. So the problem I have with this is you take aim and you say, you know what your problem is? Bam! And then they're dead. What What if the bad guy actually connected, right? Yeah. And then they're like... Uh, now I don't get to tell him. Yeah. <laughs> so which is it? Do we want them to stand there and just monologue and not shoot? Or do we want them to, because, you know, ultimately that, that always ends in their defeat, right? Because they stood yeah, there and no. didn't do anything. They just monologued. But now, like in this case, we have Citizen 8. I keep wanting to say Super 8. <laughs> we have we have Citizen that's, that's 8. A, that's a whole other J.J. Abrams movie. I know. It's, that's a much nicer place. <laughs> yeah. But we have Citizen 8 shooting the whole time he's monologuing and also getting answers back from Dylan as he's shooting back. Yeah, and can we can we just touch on the point that he's monologuing and sizing up a perfect shot to knock the Force Lance out of Dylan's hand without telegraphing with his eyes whatsoever. Yeah. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a baller villain move right there. Yeah, so... You bring that up. If you can do that, <laughs> and then you keep shooting. Yeah. So your intent is to take him out, right? Uh, I, that's what I'm thinking. So why didn't you just shoot him in the face? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Because you still have things to say. You haven't finished And if you shoot him in the face... He's, he's dead. Right. As, as the Riddler said, played by Jim Carrey, if you shoot him, he won't learn nothing. <laughs> And there is there is the lesson mm-hmm. for anyone that's into villainy. Is that what we get out of this I, episode? I think that's something we've learned from this episode. Huh. Yeah. All right. We thought we were just doing silly observations. 
We just we just cracked right into the meat, didn't I, we? I think I think we did. Okay, pull it back, pull it back. All right, yeah, because I want to ask about something else. Um, what was the name of Becca's game? Did you catch that? Uh, I don't know, Fizzbin, Smitzbank. Okay, that's what I've got written down. Okay, I backed it up. I had my headphones on. I listened to it about three times. It's called Smitzbank. I, I what what do you think about this game? Would you ever play it? No. Okay. I don't even do the knife version. Are you okay. crazy? <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. It is a, t- a play on the the knife between the fingers and the, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Spitz Smitzbank. Right. I, yeah. I'm just kind of I'm still taken aback by the name mm-hmm. just a little bit. I don't want to be vulgar here, but I think that we should give our listeners a warning. We are going to acknowledge the existence of sex. Okay. Okay. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Um. So, Rami just walks in on Harper. Um. Okay, let's move past that. Now I have a couple of other questions. Okay. Okay, so Harper is here in the middle of this fantasy... Um, are these holograms okay. that he has created? I thought we might save this for what did we learn about our universe. Okay. Because. Do you want to go ahead and just transition now then? Because uh, I, don't, I don't have anything. I, 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 well, I have one other thing. I just want to bring out Trajima's drapes are made out okay. of bubble wrap. <laughs> I, there it is. All right. We, yeah. had, we had a return of the bubble wrap decor. All right. The Klingon belts. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Now can we transition? Sure. Let's go back to Harper's uh, hollow fantasy. Okay. Is is that what's going on? This is a hologram. Yeah. That he's we've not seen this before. We've seen nothing like this before. We've got hologram Rami, but you can tell you're looking at a hologram. Yeah. These are very real looking right. individuals that Harper's in bed with. Mm-hmm. But they're just light projections. What is the... I'm thinking they're just light projections, but is this something like holo, holodeck technology where Photons he's, he's feeling something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, is, this brings up a, n- a number of issues. Uh, how are you ever going to get your engineer out of his room uh, is mm-hmm. one thing. And then two, um, well, we've already established that Rami can basically unlock any door and walk in if she wants right. to. Right. Now, I... Yes, we have seen Rami do this a number of times up here at um, awkward, compromising times. Um, I, this for just just I, this is over the line, I think. Oh yeah, it, this is this is clearly a personal moment, right? Yes. So Rami just she just jumps right in there mm-hmm. and makes no apology about it um even kind of makes fun of him yes yes she does so here's harper who is in this situation first of all because he just he's pathetic when it comes to this part of his life right yeah um and now he's being belittled even more by the ship's avatar or no, no, not the well, not the avatar, but the hologram. Yes. So yeah, by the ship who is able to apparently see him at all times, and anybody at all times. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. This was this was uh, this was probably a little bit of a, a deeper conversation than just uh, Rami walked in on Harper. Yeah, well, because this is um, this is highlighting something that we know about the ship mm-hmm. itself. There are no limits. There are no barriers. There are there is no such thing as privacy. Apparently, with this ship, mm-hmm. if if you think you're behind a barrier where you have some sort of privacy in your own room, that doesn't that doesn't exist because she can remove that barrier at, at any time for any stated reason. Mm-hmm. And then, as you stated before, we have a precedent of Rami walking in it at awkward times. This seems to be her mo. Mm-hmm. So and letting uh, the rest of the crew know what's going on. Exactly. Yes. So so are we surprised by this at all? Not surprised. I'm, I'm not surprised. Not at all. surprised at all. But, but, but a little upset. It, a little Again. bit. I, I'm just. I'm still floored at what is this technology that Harper has? Yeah. Because yes. we've not seen this before. Right. We haven't. And and that's what I was asking about. You know, if these are holograms, how did he create them? Yeah. Did he use the Andromeda's computer? Are they being generated by the Andromeda's computer? Oh, in that which case, up. she would have to know about them already. <laughs> exactly. So where did he find the time to create these holograms? I mean, we know that he's freaky fast with creating technologies. and Yeah. Um, this must be something probably that already existed. He didn't make up a technology just so he could have this fantasy with these two Android worker bots. Yeah. Uh, it's probably something he does all the time, but <laughs> but it, but again, it it seems like it to me. It comes. It also comes back around to Andromeda. Yeah. If these are something that he created using Andromeda's computer, uh, they're being generated by Andromeda's technology, and now Andromeda just comes barging in. You can't hide it from her anyway because she already knows about it, and. What really bothers me, though, is that if you're going to have a ship that is that is sentient and able to just pop in and out willy-nilly at her own whim, there's got to be some sort of discretion here as as the ship's intelligence. Um. The discretion being from the time when we saw that, uh, as she fam- famously said, that co- that Dylan was in Congress, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, letting the whole ship know what was going on. Yeah, okay. And and now she is here in this moment with Harper, which is embarrassing for him, and she belittles him, makes fun of him. So. As an artificial intelligence, you know, where's the discretion there to say, okay, you all are biologicals, I get it, this is what you feel you need to do, whatever. Um, Let's not forget that Andromeda has these feelings too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think all of this really just brings us around to a couple of glaring problems mm-hmm. on the ship. One, Andromeda's a warship, therefore... They apparently did not design her with a really robust filter. Mm-hmm. So you're basically just going to have to accept that you're if you're on this ship and you need alone time, it's you're 
you stand a good chance you're going to get walked in on. You're not alone. You're yeah. You're not you're never alone. alone. So you're never alone. Yep. And and but, so but why and the- so that also brings up another thing. If that's the case, then why doesn't Harper just wait for a time when he's off duty? Because apparently Rami just hey I, I've got to show you something. We need to address this. So essentially. Harper should have picked a better time. Okay, so to address that first, no one's ever off duty on this ship, from what I've seen. Okay, point. Okay. That's a good point. So, now, as to what you said about Rami and then the filter not being a filter, Yeah. why does there need to be a filter? Well, you would expect a little bit of tact. Yeah, but... But it just simply doesn't exist. The filter is there to take out these reactions that would come naturally... Why are these reactions even allowed to come naturally to begin with? Yeah. There shouldn't need to be... You don't need a filter because these reactions shouldn't be there. Right. Now we're coming back around to the problem with the AI in this universe. Okay. Yeah. All right. I don't like my AI being sassy. (laughs) Yeah. Someone has an overclocked sass back chip. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I get it. All right. I get it. Can we move on? Please. Because I, I feel like I need a shower at All this right. point. Uh, the prescient. We we learned about the prescient. Not the one in the tank right there. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a goldfish. The, the one in the really big tank on ganglia drift. Uh, a symbiotic species joined with the, the priestess. Uh Basically, the, the rehash of the old 19th century, you could get your fo- fortune told. That old spiel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was really cool, the the premise for how it's able to get its reading. Oh, you thought it was cool? I thought it was cool. I thought it was horrifying. Go ahead. Okay. So it, you touch the food. That encodes certain information that the, the fish or whatever it is is able to read um, based on what they say, uh, strong impressions, uh, mm-hmm. emotions. Yeah. So it reads that. It learns a little bit of something about you reads that out to you and then kind of makes a, an inference about your future. Mm-hmm. You know, it it was kind of a cool, you know, symbiosis. Right. Uh, you know, between the priestess and the, and the fish. Uh, I, As far as, as plot devices, this one was actually kind of interesting to mm-hmm. me. It, it held my attention. Right. Uh, you say it gets a bit of, of an impression. I think it gets basically the full neurological imprint. Okay. For it to have as much information as it does, that's kind of what I was getting from it. Is like you touch this thing and it transfers, you transfer all of your knowledge and experience. I don't know if it was all the, the knowledge, but maybe it was able to tell. Okay, you hate your parents or something like that. Mm-hmm. Not not you. I'm just I'm mm-hmm. just okay. I'm revealing too much about myself. Really, <laughs> I think subconsciously here no i don't have an issue with my parents at all but you know that if you had that sort of like you just had an argument mm-hmm. with you know uh, your significant other or your 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 parents or whatever the case may be then that impression would have gone to the fish and the fish would be like oh you're upset about you know your parents or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be you know it's, it's kind of an interesting thing neat yeah. little, it's a neat parlor trick okay but that's the thing, though, is that it, these these predictions are too specific to be just a parlor trick and with just a little bit of information. Okay. Were, were the predictions, were they, did their futures come true as read or were, were these just coincidences? Harper has the, the two women that he has to secure, 
right? Okay. Make them feel secure. He takes that the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But in the end, by coincidence, they are secured, locked away. Yeah. Uh, 12 ricochets and mm-hmm. Becca's, Becca's future. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a little eerie that it would specifically call out 12. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not so much a... It's reading, you know, things that could be coincidence. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually making some sort of inference about the future, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's a little scary. Um, and it's not just, I think it's got to also be taking into account what it knows about the rest of the universe that is going on at that time. All these people come in and they're getting these readings. Um, it's learning something about each one of them. And then stacking that on top of what they have already learned. How does how else does it know that Becca is going to be in some sort of a situation where she has to do this 12 ricochet thing? Yeah. How does it know anything at all about Harper and these two? Yeah. Uh, no, just the thought just dawned in my mind about okay. this discussion. Yeah. And applying mm-hmm. it to our time today. All right, let's go there. Is this what internet AI is? The cloud computing is that what is this our future now? No, this is not our future. This is going <laughs> this on. This is what's happening this now. This is the present. And okay. It, yeah, that's my note. Data collection, predictive yeah. software. I mean, this is it's allegedly deciding elections. Yeah. Because of this stuff, and um, you know, there's the the series on Netflix, um, the Great Hack. I think it's called. I've seen it. I've not. I've, I've not watched it. I've, right. I've seen it on Netflix. Okay. And anyway, so he, there's part of that, and this professor is speaking to these students, and he's saying, "Have you ever been thinking about something or talking about something, and then, oh, what do you know? It's right there on your phone." Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we've all experienced that, and we and we are we are convinced that it's because our phones are listening to us. I'm still not not convinced that our phones are not listening to us does that make sense i i think headlines have already determined yes they are listening to us okay but what what else is going on is this is also data collection yeah they know what we're doing basically everything that we're doing they see all of our our searches they see where we go they see what we talk about they see all of this stuff and so they're able to predict what we're going to look for yeah and so that's why we see ads for things that we haven't even searched for yet, but these things are able to see our patterns. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of, I think, that's to me, that's what this, this prescient is doing. Yeah. Is it's using data that it has collected to establish patterns and then say, okay, this most is the most probable outcome. Yeah. This is what's going to happen. Um. How it gets so wildly specific as far as Becca's twelve ricochets—that's uh, over the line to me. That's that's going that's crossing over a little bit into the voodoo or something. Yeah, yeah um, I, I would agree. But if we're ready to talk about Dylan and his prediction, sure. Yeah. Okay, this is some. This is the only one of these predictions that we don't see, but it is also backed up by trance at the end, right? Uh, so she sees something in Dylan. She knows Dylan extremely well. And she also knows the universe extremely well. So it we can we can accept what Trance says without even batting an eye. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. But when it comes from this fish tank and this princess, is is what what where did you get that? Yeah. Well, it knows the same things that trans knows apparently. It's plugged into the same mm-hmm. uh, strings. It's it's seeing alternate right. realities it, and it possible knows, futures. Yeah. It knows as far as. I believe it knows everything about Dylan. Hey, did it have a bonsai point. tree in the corner of its tank somewhere? Uh, it had Probably. to be some kind of a seaweed thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. But basically the same principle. Bonsai kelp tree or mm-hmm. something, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it knows everything about Dylan. It also knows everything about anyone else who was fed this thing. Mm-hmm. Or this person. This fish was, must die. Was that... Was that <laughs> Was that insensitive? No, that was insensitive. <laughs> no, I, what? Yeah, but you know, it, it knows everything mm-hmm. about a lot of people. Yeah, knows too much. It knows too much. The yeah. Fish knows too much. Mm-hmm. It needs to sleep with the. F- no, it can't sleep. Never mind. It's already sleeping with fishes. Yeah, it's got to be taken out. Okay, I forgot where I was going. With right, that. We're pretty much done with Are that we? one. I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Good talk. Good talk. Mm-hmm. Eight. Do we want to talk about him? Yeah. Sure. Um. Well, first off, let me just say uh, the actor, uh, Mari, sh- I said, I, what, how did I pronounce that? Shaken? Not stirred? Um, yeah. I, I thought he did a great job uh, with the, the character. Was it surprising that he's in league with the Spirit of the Abyss? Were you were you at all surprised? I know you've seen it before, but. No. No, I yeah. wasn't surprised. Um, I was Having just seen the episode with Paru, mm-hmm. and then now we've got this guy, it's like the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, he's not just bad for his own sake. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something else at play here. And so then when we see the Spirit of the Abyss appear in his office with the hand and everything, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, it makes mm-hmm. perfect perfect sense that he's And again, again, he is kind of crazy bad. A little, just a yeah, little just bit a little unstable. On the, on the eccentric side, uh, which, I mean, it's normal. But it also makes sense yeah. for him to be under the control of the abyss. Yeah. That I think it does something to people. Yeah, mm-hmm. and maybe that's something we've learned here. Now we have mm-hmm. back-to-back examples. Two individuals that, yeah, it drove them nuts mm-hmm. just a little, just a little bit. Yeah. Um. So I have a quote. Okay. Nope, we're not there yet. This is this is a different thing. Oh, not that quote. Not the quote. Okay. Not, not the quote. Okay. All right. So, in fact, I, I shouldn't have really even said quote. This is more of a paraphrase. Um, so, Citizen 8 actually says, a person in power's first duty is to remain in power. Yeah. I keyed in on this one, too. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it makes so much sense as to, this is, this is really so many times the folly of powerful people um i mean we've seen it time and time again we've seen it with uh man julius caesar mm-hmm. we've seen it with stalin we've seen it with hitler palpatine but yeah you did the rule of three didn't you <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah um but i mean it really don't don't we see this all the time when someone takes power they're obsessed with keeping it partly because they want to keep power, but also because they know someone else is going to be gunning for them yeah. to take that power away. Yeah. What kind of life, uh, 
Well, I think that that right there speaks volumes about the type of leadership you're getting. Mm -hmm. If that's what their concern is and they become consumed with that concern of maintaining power, then they are going to do anything in order to maintain it, which opens the door for all sorts of atrocities to Mm -hmm. take place. Right. Big or small. Yeah. It makes sense. You know, I was listening to um, another podcast that I listen to sometimes, mm-hmm. and they were talking about uh, uh, socio sociopathy, Soci- yeah. sociopathy. How do you say that? Uh, sociopathic people. So- yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, one of the things that they found is the studies have shown that throughout history, even all the way up into our day, they believe that the majority of rulers, kings presidents, whatever, the majority of them are to some degree sociopathic. Yeah. And you almost kind of have to be to be able to be in that sort of a position of power. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a scary thought. Oh, yeah. To think that the world is being run by a bunch of sociopaths. <laughs> <laughs> but look around. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah of um, course. When you say it out loud, now it's horrifying. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's also day-to-day life. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, I know that I couldn't do it. No. I'm not a sociopath. That you know of. Am I? Ask a few friends. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, I think that if you're a sociopath, you pretty much already know it, don't you? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's no, right. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, I think this was a great point that and, and um, in Trigemma's uh, exposition that we got at the outset of the episode, she says, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically she says that fearful people listen to men with quick fixes. And that really is kind of the crux of bad leadership and the 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 amount of bad leadership we see throughout history. It's always both of those things. People live in fear. There's a thing to fear. Men come along that are sociopaths that feel like they should have the power. And so they, uh, they, they spout off these quick fixes. Uh, We'll, we'll do this. We'll imprison the bad people. We'll, you know, make guns more plentiful or whatever the case is, Mm -hmm. whatever the fix is. It's a quick fix. But because they're so concerned with maintaining their power over those people, uh, like we talked about before, that opens the door for all sorts of atrocities to take place. And uh, and the people are powerless to do anything against them because all they want is good leadership. That's all they want, really. And and sadly, man is more often than not... In, or aliens. Or aliens, mm-hmm. yes, are incapable of delivering mm-hmm. good leadership. Yeah. So as far as people being just really drawn to this uh, prescient and the things that it foretells, and then also the way that Citizen Aid is able to manipulate the universe in a way by means of this and the fear and the control that he's able to have because of it, um, I couldn't help but sort of get some some like some reminders it was like a callback to a minority report Mm, okay you know how do you when you predict something are you powerless to change it if you know about what's going to happen before it happens then 
does it really come true? Or do you now have some sort of, or is everything just that fixed? You know, especially since we know the science behind what's going on here with the prescient, that it's not actually foretelling the future. We know that. Um, I think a lot of the people believe that. But from what we find out in this episode, it's really more of a data collection and prediction algorithm sort of thing going on. Mm -hmm. It's extremely accurate. But if you know that this thing has predicted something's going to happen, then can you make that not happen now? Well, I think if we're applying this to our modern day, uh, our patterns of data usage and how that feeds into the cloud and then how that's used to be fed back to us. Um, We have the ability to change our habits. And by doing so, we change what is being shown to us, what our future is. Mm -hmm. We have the ability to to change those sorts of things. So I I would say for the most part, yes, your future is not written in stone. You have the ability to to make adjustments Mm -hmm. and to make changes and confound the buggers okay (laughs) well you know we joked about it at the the outset here where and and i didn't even i didn't even think that this was going to tie into our actual discussion but you know we had the two different readings from your goldfish yeah okay mine was very long-winded extremely specific yeah and yours looked like it came out of a fortune cookie uh you're yeah okay so we had the same thing in this episode, really. Yeah, we kind of did. We did with with Becca and Harper. Theirs were essentially meaningless. Yeah. And then we have the bombshell dropped on Dylan. Um, oh, yeah, you're going to betray the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. What's, what's interesting about that is Dylan's reaction isn't, no, I'm not. Dylan's reaction was, there must be a good reason for it. Well, by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, when he's talking to Trance. But see, that's when Trance said it. Yeah. He believes... It's like like I said earlier, when Trance says it, we just take it without batting an eye. Right. When this when this fish tank thing says it... Something's wrong. Yeah, what, what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Everybody calm down, yeah. you know? Um, which, actually, that's that's one of my, my last points that I have here. Let's go ahead and tie this all in together, because why did Dylan even go to the prescient? Because he's got to he's got to get to the bottom of what aid is up to, and this is this is part of it. Getting a reading, sure, just for science. Well, it became very important because he figured out, oh, this is the this is the lever I can pull. Yeah, eliminate the food source, and then you eliminate his ability to manipulate people. Yeah, there was a crowd of people standing around though when all of these readings are being done. People are standing in line. Yeah, he could just go down there and see. What's going on? And he would have learned the exact same thing. But then we wouldn't have gotten the bombshell that was dropped on us. I that's going to add add into our plot later on. I think Trance would have revealed that to him anyway. Well, sure. But but just as pragmatic as Dylan always is. I would have really appreciated if Trance had said it. Chosen one. <laughs> <laughs> there at the end. But that's I'm coming. <laughs> but that's that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Sorry. We're two for two today. We are. Yeah. Um, oh, speaking of two for two. Yeah. Uh, 
I just want to touch on before we get too far away from it. Eight, eight's last words. The last words he says as he's dying. Well, not if you count that gurgling sound. <laughs> True. Yes. Uh, <laughs> what was? Never mind. Um, two plus two, and then he gurgles. Uh, what is the significance of that? Is there a significance to what he said there? It, did it just go over my head? Or is this something that's going to tie into the show later? Hmm. I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't catch it. Okay. So I don't know. Okay. So we'll just have to put a pin in it and yeah. maybe something comes up Did later. Hands of blue? Did that, no, I, I, I was wondering about that, no? but no, no okay. hands of blue. Okay. Not two by two. Okay. It was two plus two. Okay. And then he trailed off and died. Okay. So... Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little mystified about the significance of those last words. Hmm. I'm not sure. Remember that. Okay. And we'll then see, we'll see if we we'll see if that comes around. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right, Ethan. Are you ready for a quote? Let's do it. Okay. Here we have the quote for this episode. The tyrant and the rebel hold the same creed, colon, to act is to live. From the War Heretics of Auden, Commonwealth Year 9015. All right. The tyrant and the rebel hold the same creed. To act is to live. I On the surface, I mean, this is, seems like a decent quote. The rebel and the tyrant. On the surface, you say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just, just broad strokes. Mm-hmm. I mean, so let's say the tyrant, that's eight. Yeah. Let's say the rebel is Dylan. Okay. Because uh, at this point, Dylan, you know... It's, like you said, he's he's Commonwealth. He stands in the Commonwealth's court, but he's doing it in the background. He's allowing himself the freedom to act in whatever way he feels fit, mm-hmm. right? So we'll put him in the rebel role. What's their creed? Both of these individuals, their creed is to act. Mm-hmm. Dylan's act is acting in the best interest of the Commonwealth for now. Citizen Eight's creed is act in whatever is going to keep him in power. You know. So yeah, on the whole, it's a, it's a decent quote for both of the characters we got in this episode. Mhm. I think for the universe in general, um we really don't see any of the stories of characters who don't act. True. It's a boring episode if we get one of them. That's true. <laughs> but uh yeah, I think, you know, going all the way back from from Tyr and Dylan, you kind of have that same thing. Where yeah. It's the tyrant and the rebel. Well, which is which? Uh, it kind of depends on where you stand. Yeah. Uh, I think most of us can agree on who is the tyrant and who is the rebel in any particular episode. Dylan's the man, so he's the tyrant. Exactly, yeah. Tyr's a rebel, man. I mean, there's an argument to be made there, though, that... that that even in this episode... I know, I'm joking, but yeah, yeah. You, you say it out loud and you're like, eh, okay. Right. I mean, because we want to say that Citizen 8 is the tyrant in this episode. Right. But it kind of doesn't even really make sense. He's really the rebel. He's, he's the one re- he's bringing rebelling. down an establishment. True. Yeah, you could argue that. You could argue that. Yeah. But, and, he, but he's a villain. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, it, Ultimately, what this this episode really shows you is the battle between good and evil. Mm-hmm. 
And because if he wasn't touched by the abyss, yes, you very much could say, yeah, he's 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 a rebel. He's bucking the establishment Mm -hmm. Uh, for better or for worse. You know, take take your pick, follow him or don't. Um, But because the spirit of the abyss is involved with him or has influence over him, I I don't see how you can really argue anything. But he's a tyrant. Mm -hmm. He's he's only out for his own power or at least an agent of a tyrant. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I think that was that quote was pretty simple On the nose. and succinct. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's a whole lot that we can really dig out of it other no. than it was just, just skimmed it right off the surface, and there it was. There you go. Um, I do like that it's not a we completely ha- an, an irrelevant quote. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We haven't had a, a, an on-point Mm-hmm. Quote like this, if I feels like in several episodes mm-hmm. that we've been able to talk about. Yeah. Okay. So then you feel generally pretty good about that quote? I'm feeling good here. All right. Yeah. So do I. Um, what about the episode, Ethan? Let's go ahead and wrap it up. Are you putting the question to me now? I am. Okay. I'm throwing it to you. All right. Uh, this was a good episode. I'll just, I'll just come out. I'll, I'll, I'll come out with it right now. Not the strongest episode. There were some thing, you know, the goofiness at the beginning, uh, that first couple of minutes, the the comic relief and the blowing up the robots and the, the it didn't work for me. It was not the strongest beginning to any episode, mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, but the rest of it, there's a lot there, and there's a lot that kept my interest and that worked very well for me. Uh, Mari Shaken is a is great as this character uh, a citizen eight uh it feels very much like he and james spader are kind of cut from the same cloth hmm. there were yeah. moments in his acting where i'm like man i've got like a strong james spader vibe here mm-hmm. uh, and just his facial expressions and whatnot uh he's charming he's disarming he's menacing he's all of these things that you want in a in a good villain and uh i really just i thoroughly enjoyed his portrayal mm-hmm. of citizen eight and uh as far as the plot points there were some interesting things there the prescient the, that was interesting to me um there was a lot here that worked uh yeah I, I i enjoyed this episode harper i feel like we learned a lot about harper that i really wasn't expecting i was just expecting another harper strikes out with the girls you know and yes that happens mm-hmm. But at the same time, we got to dig into Harper just a little bit and look at some of his insecurities and how that's holding him back from really, you know, finding a true love, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he is repeatedly not lucky in love, unlike myself, apparently, in some future time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like this episode. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to, this is not how I usually do things. This is usually kind of your area, but I'm going to go ahead and go for some fashion choices. Okay. I'm going to go after yeah. that. Uh, it's not the Harper thing. Um, I don't like Becca's haircut. Oh, the spiky. It wasn't doing it for me. The eccentric. You yeah. didn't like that? No, I didn't okay. like what was going on with Becca's haircut. Wow. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and start there. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, and you know what? Or you can only go up from there. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So if that's the worst thing about this episode, um, 
Actually, it's not. It's the first scene was the worst thing about this episode because it didn't yes. make any sense. It it was also it seemed very incongruent. How is it that these that this boat full of of bad robots droid? Yeah, they were bad robots. You're right. That's what it was. <laughs> so how is it that they show up before they ever even really get to the drift? And they're already started working, and they're doing all of this menacing stuff sent ahead, but not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We we didn't, unless I just missed it, like, we didn't really get an explanation what these things were actually doing. Well, the all whole, we, the whole just, situation just felt contrived. Yeah. It was like, oh, we got robots running amok. Yeah. Why? Because they're robots. Whoa. Okay. And... They were sent by Citizen Eight, right? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, we could we could mm-hmm. beat on this for another half hour. I feel like okay. You want all, you want to? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, all right. Yeah, so I mean, it, it that whole scene it just didn't really make any sense, and I don't feel like they ever really answered some of the questions that were brought up as far as it was like it was just you know, let's just let's just have something happen, yeah, and then we'll mention it. And make it seem well, like we're see, here, it. here's the other thing that I didn't like about how that opening sequence was written. Is we start off with Trigemma's exposition about all that's happening. And I think all of the explanation that the writers expected you to have mm-hmm. was in that exposition. Yeah. But that was a lot of exposition. Well, and you it know was pretty what? loaded. I'll say that was bad exposition. Yeah. That was, hey, bonk, bonk. Yeah. We're going to give you some exposition now. Right, right. And, and and so and then we immediately cut mm-hmm. from that to the comic scene in the cargo bay. Yeah, and it was just no, it it it, it felt this is the first episode by these two mm-hmm. uh, writers by okay. the the Paul and and Todd. Mm-hmm. I forget their last names already. We'll talk about them some more. We'll see how their other episodes go, and then we'll make an assessment. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think that maybe they learned from this, because there's a way to deliver a lot of exposition, you know, right? You need to have that one character who is a stand-in for the audience. Yeah. To say, what? What's going on? Yeah. That, that's us, they, right? Yeah. But when you say, well, Dylan, as you know, <laughs> and then explain the whole thing, yeah. <laughs> and then Dylan's sitting there like, I already knew that. Why did you just waste the last 10 minutes of my time telling me all of that? Because I already knew. Yeah. Um, yes. So there was another thing that I didn't really care for. Uh, okay. But it's still, that's all before the opening sequence. Yeah. Now now we, we go to the title sequence, mm-hmm. roll credits. Now we get into the story. Okay. And what about the rest of the story? All for right. You? And the the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say... Uh, was uh, pretty, pretty, pretty good. All right. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting with the prescient um, just kind of seeing, sort of being like an attraction. And yeah. And all these people swarming and flocking to it, right? Because everyone's looking for answers. Sure. Um, so, yeah, you go to the fish. Cause the fish has got the sure. answers. The fish and the priestess. Yeah. This sounds like the start of a great joke. <laughs> anyway. So uh, it was interesting, especially when you, when you find out that this is, there's something that is scientifically based here that somehow this this food that you feed it, which by the way, does this thing never get full? 
Because <laughs> people are just feeding it all day long. I don't know. It's generating a lot of light. So that metabolism, I think, is working you pretty. Think so? Yeah, it's pretty robust. Okay. Yeah. Those are, you can see the calories burning. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. All right. Um, anyway, yeah, interesting, though. The, it's it's a data collection and and making predictions based on information. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. And then what we get from it is a lot of this, so much of this is just story to have a story. And that's fine when it's an interesting story. And I think that for the most part, this was, this was a eh, interesting sort of interesting story. But what makes this episode uh, especially good is that we get it drops something on us hard. Something for us to look forward to. Um, it says that Dylan is going to betray the Commonwealth. Betray. That's a big word. It's not a big word. It's a heavy word. Yeah. He's going to betray the Commonwealth and then Trance backs it up. Yeah, you're absolutely going to. And then Dylan's Response to that is, well, there must be a good reason for it. That'll if, be if, an interesting if, day. If that happens, then there's going to be a good reason for it. Yeah. And I think that we've already seen the way things are going with the Commonwealth. It's not a huge stretch to say that the Commonwealth is going to do something or adopt some kind of ideology or something that Dylan is not going to go along with. They've pushed him in my opinion, too far already. Yeah. But he's ever the Boy Scout, ever the loyal Commonwealth High Guard member. What has to happen before it's too far? That's exciting to think about. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And we see that once again, the... Spirit of the Abyss is right there, clear and present danger, and having a major influence on what's going on. I mean, go, even going as so far as to trying to orchestrate things to put one of his minions in the triumvirate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good episode. Yeah. Solid. Well... Ethan, that's what we thought. You know what I want to know? What's that? I want to know what our listeners thought. All right. I want to know what our listeners think of Pieces of Eight, what they think of The Citizen Eight, what they think of Gangly Adrift, what they think of The Prescient. I want to know what they think of our readings that we got from your goldfish earlier. I want to know if they've ever... It's not a goldfish. Come on, man. I paid 30 bucks for that thing. It's not a goldfish. It's it's some kind of a carp. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but anyway, I want to know if our listeners have ever been backpacking across Europe. Oh, I want to yeah. know if they've been lucky in love. Hey, I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> yes, please. I want to know if anyone out there has a llama named Montel. Wouldn't that be great? It would be great. Yeah. And then you know I have to go there. I gotta ride that llama. Yeah. Can you ride a llama? I have no idea. Hmm. It's interesting. We're gonna learn a lot here in the near future, I guess. But we we digress. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, e- Ethan, if somebody wanted to get a hold of us and let us know any of those things, or if they want to talk about something that I didn't even mention, 
How could one get a hold of us? They can send an email to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. We can also be reached on the social media. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Find out what's going on with us, and you can reach us there at the handle at Andromeda Pod. Both of those places were also on Podbean. Uh, Podbean dot Andromeda Series. Nope. Yep. Andromeda, right, com, And uh, if you should feel so inclined and so generous, you can uh, send us a tip by means of our tip jar that we have there. Uh, you can also listen to us on Spotify. You can listen to us on iTunes. Uh, if you like listening to us at any of those places, let us know what your preference is. Uh, leave us some stars and a review if possible, too. Good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for lending us his voice for the opening quote of this episode. We are an Age of Geek production. Check those guys out over at ageofgeek.podbean.com. That's right. Nailed it. And we invite you to join us back here again next time when we discuss walking... No. As we discuss waking the tyrant's device. I was hoping it would be walking. <laughs> <laughs> Balls. Balls.